The following is a hoop bowl presentation. Plays it into Trey. Two seconds wide. Trey Slaughter. show here on the Hoop Ball Network that is taking flight. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia. The Knicks pack is up. I'm recording this on Thursday, June 3rd, after the Hawks clinch a spot in the Eastern Conference semifinals after beating the New York Knicks 103 to 89 up in the Garden. In their great season and uh, for the New York Knicks, and uh, we're not complaining about it or upset on about it on this program. We're going to tip our cap to them, and we're going to chuck the deuces and move forward because it's time to focus on the Philadelphia 76ers in the next round. I have two great guests on tap for you guys today on this show that's going to break down Game 5 and talk about the next series with the 76ers after this plug for my bookie. If you like losing money, turn this off right now. But if you love free band, free bands, just like Super Future, then keep listening. Sports betting is getting huge across the nation, and all of my homies love to bet on games. There are a bunch of sites out there for sports betting, but all of my homies love my bookie. Why? Because it's so easy to use. And since y'all my homies too, I'm going to plug you. All my homies listening right now can sign up for my bookie with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus. 100%, just like an A-plus in school. Hopefully you got them, but if not, this your chance to get 100%. You like playing blackjack? There are some very fun and free blackjack tournaments, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that you can do on my bookie, and the best thing is, is that no cash is required to enter, and you can win up to $100 in daily challenges and up to $1,000 in weekly tournaments. So you want a chance at free cash money? Then again, my homies, sign up with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus and try to score some, in the words of future, like I said earlier, free band, free band. All right, and we are back. Um, I really wish I had the inhale, exhale, Lil Wayne uh, sound effect right now because, as I said before, that Knicks pack is going up, and it's been going up since about 1030 last night, local time here in Atlanta. And to talk about what transpired last night, I have two great friends of the program. I have King Drip himself, David Bracey. David, tell everybody how you doing today. Oh, I am feeling absolutely fantastic, Brad. Appreciate you having me on today. Appreciate your availability. And last but certainly not least, my friend, our friend of the program, your friend with the Hoop Ball Network, Alan Strokey. Alan, tell, I already know how you're feeling, but go ahead and let everybody else know how you're feeling. 
Yeah, no, I shouldn't be a surprise that I'm feeling pretty good today. It's uh, it's been uh, you know, it's just been it's been pretty good. Uh, nothing to complain about. Just feeling a little light, feeling loose. And I'm I'm like David. I am very happy and honored to be here with you on this this feel good episode. I imagine. Oh, oh we gonna feel good. We felt good last <laughs> night. Me and Alan got to watch the game in person. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, not in Madison Square Garden, but um, at a local at a local watering hole, if you like to say. And uh, we got to be amongst the people mm-hmm. when this transpired. But before we talk about the game, I have a very interesting question. I told you guys before we got on air that I had a fun question to ask to start off this show. And I'm going to start off with you, Alan. Who is saltier today, Lloyd Pierce or the Indiana Pacers? Oof. <laughs> That's a good, good question. And you know what? I mean, you can say I, I feel like I'm inclined to say Lloyd. I'm inclined to go that direction. But I mean the Pacers, they they just dropped the ball on the whole coaching situation with those stories coming out about Bjorken uh like yeah. a, a week before the playoffs, like to go from Nate, who frankly got the most out of that team. Surprise, surprise, he's doing the same over here right now. He's I'd say that he is known for maximizing talent. Pacers were supposed to be the top four seed this season, something like that, and they got cooked. I mean, Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd knew the writing was on the wall. You have to imagine he did when you don't have the locker room the way that he didn't. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna say the Pacers. That's my choice. They, 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 they messed up big time. Yeah, there's no wrong answer. Um, they're both right answers in my opinion. So, David, I want to hear what your uh, right answer is uh, in the question I just posed. Yeah, you know, I think I echo I think I echo a lot of Allen's sentiment there. Um the Pacers are the Pacers find themselves in a very, very strange situation. They're kinda in this limbo of they have a talented roster and they should be a lot better than they are. Um and for whatever reason, which appears to be chemistry based, that has not been the case. Um so I don't really know what the next steps are for them. And then you could pose that exact same question for Lloyd Pierce. I mean, this is a guy who very recently was you know, absolutely dogging and giving out, you know, basically giving up the goose on what he thought the Knicks approach should be to try to shut down Trey Young. And fairly clearly, no member of the Knicks front franchise or front office listens to that radio production because uh, they didn't take any of those notes. But it wouldn't be the first time somebody li- didn't listen to Lloyd Pierce. Pierce. Oh, you know, that's uh, a good point right there, David. Yeah. <laughs> so you know how that goes. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that that really could go either kind of way here. Uh, but Lloyd Pierce may be turning into Lloyd Banks here soon if he gets this Celtics job. So, you oh, know, wow. th- things could change yeah. very, very quickly here. There is that. Very quick to be back on the radar for Lloyd. You know, like, you, hey. you, you can't be all that salty if you're potentially going to take over the, the that duo of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown in Boston, eventually piss them off and find yourself out of a job again. I mean, he's at least, you know, in the running Pacers. I mean, (laughs) yeah, good. (laughs) I was going to say, like, if he does take that Celtics job, uh, if you're a a Celtics player listening to this podcast, one, welcome uh, to just don't do anything to get on Lloyd Pierce's bad side. or don't ask for more uh, in the offense or in the scheme than what he's currently giving you, because apparently we've seen that, He's pretty hard-nosed on that, and uh, we'll turn the locker room sour. So that's just a little bit of advice from what we heard through the grapevine. If you are planning to be a player under Lloyd Pierce's helm uh, in, in the near future, uh, obviously we're going to wish him the best, but, yeah, uh, when uh, 
Allen told me that he was a candidate for the Celtics job. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nauseous, uh, which was bad because I had some uh, lemon yaki, lemon pepper and teriyaki wings about to come when he told me this. So uh, it, it almost spoiled my meal, but uh, nothing spoiled the wings. Uh, Brad, <laughs> Brad looked like I had like just ran over his dog or something when I brought that up. I mean, he, it was a mix of shock and just like just appalled <laughs> at the suggestion. Um, again, not trying to drag him through the mud. Uh, not you, Brad, uh, Lloyd Pierce, because I, I mean, the reaction is I'd say it was appropriate. It was a surprise to be sure. Uh, but just for, for to paint the picture for the listeners, that was, uh, you know, I, I you, you're almost like that, that Shaq meme on hot ones. Like you have the wing in your, in your hand. You just look over like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I asked you a couple times um, if, if you said what you said and yeah. uh, you confirmed it. So wish, wish Lloyd the best. And this, this podcast will not, be mentioning Lloyd Pierce anymore after this question. So, uh, listeners, after listening to this episode, hit me up on Twitter, and I want to see your opinion. Who do you think is saltier today, Lloyd Pierce or the Indiana Pacers? And just a little fun fact for everybody uh, who is not counting. I know all the Hawks fans are, but national listeners who are new to the Atlanta Hawks, Nate Millen is now 33-13, and 13, including the playoffs since taking over the helm of the Atlanta Hawks, which is a 717 winner percentage. And if you put that over 82 games, that would be the equivalent of 59 games in an 82-game season. So that's pretty good. He's done a pretty good job. But I uh, want to do a quick PSA before we talk about the game last night. Check in on any Knicks fans today. They may be hurt. They may be spitting profusely. And maybe um, trying to book flights to kind of ease the pain of a. Uh, it was a great year, but it was a tough way to go out. Gentlemen sweep in the first round, uh, and you lose it on your home floor. So Jordan Bogart, Mr. ATL Player Development, if you listen to this, we're thinking about you. Keep your heads up. Uh, train some of your Knicks boys uh, in the offseason offensively so they can be a little bit better, and um, maybe catch them on a vacation. Hey, um, who knows? Uh, you do a wonderful job training them. They may uh, bring you on a vacation. So check in on your Knicks fans today uh, We, with all due respect. But Game five last night. Again, it seems like it's been this way the entire season. I mean, sorry, sorry, entire series. First one to 100 wins. Again, it's the Hawks. Again, Trey Young. Closing out the game down the stretch. Solid contribution from the rest of the starters. Hawks hit a lot of big shots throughout the game. They did not shoot particularly great from the field, but they did better than what the New York Knicks did. Um, won the rebounding margin. Had less turnovers than New York. One points in the paint by plus 14. And an extremely motivated Trey Young. As much as everybody talked about Julius Randle going into the series, and rightfully so. He had a great year. Most improved player of the year. And he deserved that award. Trey has had some great games against the New York Knicks all year, and I was curious about how the Knicks were going to defend him. And certainly the Knicks had no answer for Trey Young the entire series. That should be an area of concern for the Philadelphia 76ers, even though they're a really good defensive team as well. But I want to ask both of you guys, what was the best thing? And I'm start with you, David, first. What was the best thing that you saw in last night's closeout game from the Hawks? I think that a part of your question is the biggest thing that stood out to me. And it was their ability to close out the game. Um, this is something that we've talked about, you know, in the couple of episodes that I've been on and on, you know, this is something that you've discussed, you know, throughout the whole season, this being a young team, you know, relatively inexperienced, especially in a postseason. Um, being able to close out a game, especially a big game on the road is going to be very, very important. 
Um, and it's going to really, really tell us a lot about how far the Hawks can go and what that ceiling really is for them. And I thought they did a great job with that. Uh, like I said, on both ends of the court, um, I thought you saw them do exactly what that roster was built to do, get everybody involved, uh, especially offensively. You saw a lot of ball movement um, and you saw a lot of guys with a lot of energy and hustle plays that really just absolutely deflated the Knicks. Um, you saw them put the Knicks in very, very uncomfortable situations offensively because the Knicks were looking around at the guys on the court and didn't have a whole lot of confidence in swinging the ball to one of them. And they didn't have a whole lot of confidence in their own jump shot. And all that plays into the Hawks ability to just consistently pester them on defense. Defense. So, like I said, closing out the game, I think, was the biggest thing that stood out for me. And the Hawks look really, really good. And um, same question for you, Alan. What was the best thing that you saw last night in a closeout game outside of the, the dub for the Atlanta Hawks? I mean, in, for the game last night particularly, it's just that I, I think that the Hawks, I, I think – it was the thing that you worry about going into that type of game where you're one away, you got the team on the other end, like, you know, backs against the wall. I, I, I like that the Hawks never uh, kind of took their foot off the, off the pedal, you know, like there, and a lot of times you see in these games, particularly with inexperienced teams, which the Hawks are, you know, you, you might see them get a little lax, see a little bit of that cockiness that they had in those, those earlier games translates to, you know, missed rotations on defense or maybe not even respecting guys shots like, like Julius Randle in the beginning or Reggie Bullock at the beginning of the game and, you know, opened up it for three. I mean, it was kind of a rock fight type of game. The Hawks were terrible uh, from downtown pretty much the whole night, but the defense stayed strong. You know, they, they, which I said the biggest takeaway, positive takeaway from the series is the team defense, just top to bottom. These guys, they, they, it was just, it was, it was incredible to just see all these guys lock in, be on the right place on the floor, never letting, I mean, for the most part, you know, not, not just not getting beat one-on-one and playing just perfectly into the scheme that McMillan drew up. I mean, Danilo Gallinari was a <laughs> passable at worst defender in this series. I mean, he was, I, you know, I, I, there were some numbers against him on Randall during the series whenever those two were one-on-one where I think Randall was shooting below 40% when Gallo was guarding him. And I mean, beyond that, just all the energy that like David mentioned, just the, the strength and closing out in the fourth quarter, which was obviously a big struggle for this team in the beginning of the year, blew a lot of fourth quarter leads. That is not the case under Nate McMillan anymore. Uh, really just, they, they talked the talk and they walked the walk, man. Like, it was just refreshing to see these guys really believe in themselves, have confidence in their abilities over their opponent. And in that type of closeout game, which is very difficult, game five in Madison Square Garden in that type of scenario, even if they have been the, just looked like the better team the entire series to not let up and stick to the scheme, stick to the game plan and see it all the way through and really just a dominating fashion it was really really refreshing to see nothing that it, very rare in atlanta sports to see what we saw in this first round yeah just the fight the grit the uh, the swagger that confidence you talked about and the continuity those are all things that really culminated into this gentleman's sweep here in the first round and i think those are all things that the hawks can put in their back pocket and feel confident about going forward as they obviously have a a looming series coming up with the Philadelphia 76ers. And looking at the numbers last night, uh, the, the Knicks shot 38% from the floor. So, again, they did, a as you, as you mentioned, the defense all series long for the Hawks on the Knicks was just spectacular. 
Um, eight of 21 shooting for Julius Randle, 23 points, uh, their leading scorer. But uh, big thing there is he did not get past that threshold of four or five assists, three assists last night, which was huge. I said two players that were going to be key for the Knicks and the Hawks had to keep an eye out on was Reggie Bullock with his ability to knock down threes. And he had four of them yesterday. So I thought that was going to be a problem watching that game early on. And then Emmanuel quickly off the bench with his scoring prowess, he added 11. So both of them con- contributed for the Knicks last night. But I think the big thing is the minutes that they played Derrick Rose early in the series really caught up to him because he only played 27 minutes last night. Second fewest minutes, um, actually the fewest minutes out of everybody in the starting lineup last night. He only had six points, uh, five assists, three of 11 from the floor. So when everyone else is doing their thing and R.J. Barrett, Barrett was 17 points, uh, but it wasn't an efficient night. Uh, D. Rose not really giving him that burst, which – could be, obviously, the minutes catching up to him, him being a starter instead of coming off the bench, which was his natural role the entire year. All those things could have played into it. But him not showing up in a game five situation back against the wall, win or go home situation on top of the defense and the shot making ability. And we're going to talk about it again. Trey Young. Trey Young was just phenomenal uh, yesterday because when you look at the stats and um and, to, and looking at the what the Hawks did yesterday, Trey Young with 36, but the, the second leading highest uh, score for the Hawks was DeAndre Hunter at fit with 15, who had a brilliant game yesterday. And that's one of the things that really got me excited. I say that was probably the best thing that I saw last night was the confidence of uh, DeAndre Hunter, um, him playing on a defensive end. He looks like he has that um that that pep in his step back on a defensive end. His confidence is there, knocking down jump shots. So I think. That was probably one of the best things that I saw last night. But Bogey didn't have a great game. John Collins had 13 points, seven rebounds. Uh, not terrible. Uh, Clint Capella with 14 and 15. You can't complain about that. Bogey underperformed uh, last night. Not a great shooting night. And this was one of the first games that Bogey did not hit three or more threes. And the Hawks still won. So, And then they really didn't get a lot off their bench. So as great as what I saw from DeAndre Hunter, I think uh, – the next question I said, what was alarming probably in this series for the Hawks is just that inconsistency from the bench uh, that was supposed to be a strength. And it was at times a strength, but it was at times a hindrance throughout the year because of parts moving in and out. Uh, I think that was one of the most alarming things and not cause for panic. But we know that when they play at home, it, it, we saw it when they played at home in this series, the bench played great. On the road, the bench did not play that great. And that's one of the keys going into this next series, the first two games of Philadelphia. I'm really interested to see the second unit contributions, especially going up against that Philadelphia second, uh, Philadelphia 76 or second unit, which they go pretty deep. They've gone pretty deep into their bench when you look at the first round and you look at each of the games against the Washington Wizards. So that would probably be one of my things alarming. So I'm start with you, Alan. What was something that you saw that was alarming in this first round series from the Hawks? Well, before we get into that, I think we should also give props to Nate McMillan, uh, the adjustment he made after game two with the rotations where he yeah. swap, swapping pretty much go, getting away from the all bench lineups, which he probably should have never really gone to to begin with. But uh, the decision to kind of, you know, put Trey Young out there with Kevin Herter, Solomon Hill, Danilo, and Okongwu, kind of having Trey maximize the most out of those guys while the other starters are getting rest. And then on the flip side, bringing in most of the starters back and then having Lou run the point 
where the offense doesn't have to flow entirely through uh, Lou Williams like it did when he was those all bench lineups. It was the right call. It was a, I mean, it, pretty much after he made it, the, that that switch up, but the Hawks ran away with this series, blowing the Knicks out three games in a row. Um, so huge adjustment there, and I'm, I, I hope that we continue to see more of those rotations in the next series. The uh, areas for improvement, I would think, or just things that were concerning despite, let's, I mean, be frank, a, just a commanding series throughout for the Hawks. I thought that the they're in a bit. I think in the especially in the beginning, they gave up far too many uh, second chance points. There's yes. a lot of offensive rebounding out of Taj Gibson. Like Taj Gibson, give him a lot of credit. He, he was like a throwback 80s big in this series. He was doing a ton of the, the little things for this Knicks team to keep them competitive in some of these games. But let's be honest, that, that should be a little bit alarming when you have Clint Capella on the other end of the floor. John Collins right there with him. I mean, we this is a team that, th- honestly, we, we've, we shouldn't be giving up that type of opportunity to Taj Gibson at this stage of his career. If we're going to go against Joel Embiid next series, which you know, like a lot – lot to unpack there with the partially torn meniscus, but even so, you can't give up second chance points at the rate that the Hawks were. And frankly, we need to do a better job of hitting the offensive glass ourselves. I mean, we looked a lot better toward, I say we, I'm doing that thing. (laughs) I certainly certainly wasn't out there and I would not have stopped Taj Gibson if I was. But if... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but you know, Capella, man, he is one of the best offensive rebounders in the league. He had a great finish to the series last night. He was commanding. He, he was he was for, he backed up that smack talk resoundingly last night. But I mean, his ability to clean up mistakes on the offensive end of the floor and is very important. Uh, it was inconsistent in the series. I'd really hope to see uh, a little bit more of the regular season version of him on that type, uh, that side of things in the next series. And I agree there because I know going into the series, I knew rebounding was going to be a big deal. In the first several games, uh, they, the Hawks were out rebounded um, hilariously, um, even though they won two of two of three. Uh, but that was something that did get better throughout the series. And like you said, it's going to have to be a team thing. Um, David, as far as anything alarming, what was something that you, alarming that you saw from the Hawks that could uh, be a problem going against the 76ers? Um. I feel like, I mean, unsurprisingly, because, you know, you and Alan are the best at what both of you do here. I'm trying not to just, you know, rip off your takes, but I, I completely echo exactly what Alan said. I mean, the 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 second chance points, I think, is going to be very interesting to see how that, how that battle goes in this upcoming series. Again, not to kind of jump ahead of the current moment, you know, that the Hawks are currently celebrating, which as they justly should. You know, this is a big series. They got a big win. It's important. Um, but in this upcoming series, especially depending on, Joel Embiid's availability. That's going to be huge. I mean, he is a behemoth. Clint Capella, I think, is very, very talented defensively, but he's going to put that whole team to the test. Um, again, they have a lot of other big guys on that team. Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Danny Green. Um, this is a pretty supersized team. You've got Seth Curry running around off screen, so it's going to require a lot of energy. Um, like you saw as the Hawks closed out this last game, they had a lot of that energy coming off the bench. Now, offensively, to both of your points, the inconsistencies are, again, concerning. Um, but, but overall, the hustle was something that I thought you, you you could really appreciate, and it's a big part of why they were able to close out the game the way that they did. The Hawks are going to need to carry that momentum, um, and they're going to need it for every single possession going to, going against Philly because Philly is scrappy. They're, they're going to punch you in the face. They're going to die for the ball. Uh, they're going to get physical down low. Um, even if Embiid's not out there, you got to deal with Dwight Howard and all his shenanigans. So 
the, the Hawks are definitely in for in for a real test here. And um, we're going to see a lot out of just how far they can go uh, in these opening games. I 100 percent agree. And one of the things that I just love seeing uh, from this series, uh, all the bulletin board material from the Knicks Hawks series, but just how they were just called out as far as their toughness. And they really show their toughness. They showed their bark and their bite uh, throughout the entire series. And that's something that's going to they're going to need going against Philadelphia because they're going to try to be physically imposing as well. Uh, Doc Rivers was a very tough player, uh, tough coach, a uh, player's coach, but, you know, tough in, the same, in his own right. So they're going to try to assert their dominance uh, probably early and often and going ahead and talking about this Philadelphia 76ers series. Um, my uh, biggest question for the Hawks is, even though they did great on this end of the floor, is how are they going to stop? The 76ers. The 76ers in the first round of the playoffs averaged 20, 124 points per game. Uh, granted, it was against the Washington Wizards team that uh, some people may say shouldn't be in the playoffs, but they earned the right, and uh, we're never going to, you know, you know, downplay them going through the play and making it to the first round of the playoffs here in the Eastern Conference. Uh, but the, the, the defensively, they couldn't do anything against the 76ers at all. And on the flip side of things, the Hawks are currently first in scoring defense in the playoffs in the NBA and third in defensive rating. But Philly is different offensively, and both teams have a lot of confidence, even with the injuries on uh, Philly's end right now, um, as they have both the best records, identical records since March 1st, going 31 and 12. So, and I'm going to start with you, David, on this one. What matchup are you really interested in seeing uh, play out uh, this uh, series? Um, well, I guess I got to start at the top of the key. For me, I think the biggest one I'm going to be watching is Trey Young's ability to contend with Ben Simmons defensively and that Philadelphia, you know, just that size, again, just that size, really going to try to bother him, really going to try to pressure him. And on the flip side, uh, I'm going to be very curious to see how Philadelphia attempts to contain Trey Young, as I'm sure Nate McMillan um, and the Hawks, who are very talented offensively, are going to run a whole lot of strategies uh, to run him off back screens, to get ball movement, um, to, you know, do a lot of things. And I think that you can see the Warriors uh, do with Steph and have been very, very successful with. So that's that to me is going to be huge. Well, how both of them respond to those matchups, I think it's really going to be the defining factor in this series, um, especially if Joel Embiid is not a full go. Um, so that's definitely where I'm going to be starting. What about you, Alan? I mean, let's, I mean, we, let, let's talk about the Embiid part of all this, right? Cause yeah. it's a huge question mark at this point. I mean, even if he's playing there, there's, there's concerns with a partially torn meniscus for a guy of Embiid's size and injury history, what he means to the franchise, you know, he's going to play through it. it but, like, I mean, to what extent is he going to have that same level of physicality that we expect from him in a normal game? Like, is he going to be going full board? Is he going to be hobbled a little bit? Is he going to be trying to favor the other side? I'm interested to see, and, and it's kind of an unfortunate talking point because I don't want to see any guys get hurt, especially not someone like Joel Embiid who's entering his prime and top two MVP candidate this year and Frankly, I want the Hawks to win this series, and I don't want it to be like, you know, well, Tobias Harris was their starting center for like three of the <laughs> four wins. Uh, you know, like I want the best of this team. So I'm curious how Embiid gets used, and even if he'll be available for game one, he was doubtful for game five. Uh, if he isn't playing, it'll be interesting to see 
I mean, that, that, that really changes the calculus in a big way because if you noticed against uh, in game five, I, you know, we weren't watching. Uh, I mean, I wasn't. I don't know if you had that game on, David, but uh, they started Tobias Harris at center. Uh, they brought Matisse Thibel into the starting lineup and kind of a starter in, in name only because yeah, I think uh, he only played like 15 minutes or so. But the Sixers went small. You got Dwight Howard in there for a little bit, but Tyrese Maxey coming off with 26 minutes off the uh, off the bench too. The small ball lineups is you know that's gonna that's going to put a dent into Clint Capella's playing time. I don't know if he has the capabilities of you know it's that, it was that whole argument for getting him out of Houston first time around, right? Like everyone was saying that you know the Rockets wanted to go small ball. Clint Capella couldn't really stay on the floor against these Steph Kurt, these Golden State Warrior teams that always found a way to switch onto him and attack him on the perimeter. What do we do in this scenario? I mean, we got John Collins. He he's played plenty of small ball five before, but like if Capella's out there less, who how does that change our rotations? Uh, who kind of gets those minutes? Are we going to see more Danilo Gallinari? I know there's a section of Hawks fans that are groaning at the thought of that. <laughs> uh, it, it's just it, it, the, the chessboard really changes in a big way. It might not be advantageous to the Hawks if you have less Capella out there. You're just going to have less <laughs> the defense is all around is going to take a hit he is an anchor in the very definition of it uh, for this defense he he without him out there the, the, it changes in a big way so i'm really curious i mean if it beads not in their game one it's going to be very interesting to see just how philadelphia goes with that starting lineup and just minutes distributions for the front uh, the front court yeah, I agree 100%, Alan. And I think the first two games, depending on Embiid's health, will be a fuller-out process. It's going to be a chess match, as you alluded to, as far as lineups and who will be on the floor, who won't be on the floor, based on what Philadelphia is going to do uh, with the health of um, their MVP uh, candidate, in Joel Embiid. So it's going to be... It's going to be interesting, and I can't wait for Game 1. Uh, we already know that Game 1 is in a lot of Pretty much in every sport, you know, the fill them out game is going to be high energy, uh, probably not the best defense played that game. So I anticipate probably a high scoring game, uh, game one. And then obviously the adjustments go from there. But one thing that I am really curious to see, and after seeing DeAndre Hunter last night, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be the X factor in this series with how he plays on both ends of the floor, especially on the flip side of things, when you talk about the 76ers, Tobias Harris had a very, very good first round versus the Wizards. And if you look at the box scores of uh, every single game that the 76ers played against the Wizards in the first round, Tobias Harris was there. He was there every night, and with Embiid out, his role is going to grow, and rightfully so. It should, but I'm really interested to see who they're going to put on Tobias Harris and how well they're going to uh, guard him defensively. Because if they can neutralize him, yes, they're going to get big three-pointers from Seth Curry. Yes, Danny Green is still a you know a sharpshooter, even though he's on the tail end of his career. Uh, yes, Tyrese Maxey off the bench uh, and others for, on that Philadelphia team. But Tobias Harris is their X factor, regardless if Embiid is on the court or not. And, uh, and so I think... Naturally, we're probably going to put DeAndre Hunter on him or John Collins, depending on what Nate McMillan does. But I'm really interested in that matchup right there, because when Tobias does good, Philadelphia does good. When he does not play well, 
The team tends to not play well and lose those games. So he's going to be very, very important going forward, in my opinion. Uh, I mentioned my X factor as far as for the Hawks and obviously for Philadelphia. Who are X factors for both of you? And I'll start with Alan on this question. Um, I'm in agreement with you on Hunter. We were talking about it last night. He is the best. I mean, first of all, defensively, he, he is still our best perimeter defender and I think by a good margin on this team Tobias Harris is kind of the engine of this offense when Embiid's not there and that he makes sense as a one-to-one matchup uh so but to go um another direction I mean obviously Trey Young's gonna be really it, it, you know uh, this is gonna sound like a, an obvious answer but it's but there's more to it Trey Young is gonna be this I'll go with him as an x-factor here because I I would be surprised if we see Trey's production stay exactly the way it was in this next series against Philly, because I do think that Philly is a far better, t- far better equipped to handle him defensively. I mean, you can't really, you know, it's interesting. This series is very similar to the Knicks series where the, the regular season games just will not paint you an accurate picture of what these two teams are going to be like in the, in the uh, postseason. Um, that first game, Philly was dealing with a ton of COVID protocol. I mean, they had, uh, Dakota Mathias playing 40 minutes in that game. I don't think he's in the league at the moment, so you can throw that one out. Um, game two, Trey Young wasn't there. Game three, he was. The Hawks got blown out by like 20. It was actually the very next day. I, so there's no real data there, but Trey did get his in his one matchup with Simmons this season, at least offensively. I think it's going to be tough for him to. Uh, it, I'll be interested to see how Philly just plans to attack him. I think that, you know, the shot has been kind of hit and miss for Trey in the series. He's obviously piling up a ton of points, but it was never, uh, it's not like he was, you know, had like a 50% clip from three throughout the series, right? I mean, it was on high volume attempts. I wonder if, you know, what, I'm wondering what kind of sets they'll throw at him, whether or not they're going to try and close up his passing lanes, because that's obviously a big part of how this offense um you know, kind of flows. is just Trey getting others into a rhythm. And particularly on the other side of the floor, um, I'm curious how Trey holds up on defense. Because the Knicks, I think one of the things they were criticized for a lot in the series is that they did not do a good enough job of trying to attack Trey uh, whenever he was kind of switched on to R.J. Barrett, Derrick Rose, Julius Randle a couple of times. Like, the Knicks just felt like they could have done more towards that. Uh, Trey, in this series, he's probably going to be guarding Danny Green and Seth Curry on the perimeter a lot of times and those guys move, they move off screens. They they're, they're constantly in motion and that uh, they're going to make him work on that end of the floor. So I, I'm curious if he has the stamina to keep up on that end while simultaneously <laughs> trying to navigate Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel, just getting their long ass arms <laughs> in his yeah. uh, up in his face. I mean, it's going to be, he's going to have a much, much harder time doing what we just saw him do over these last five games against this team and that they have the tools to wear him out. I 100% agree, and I'm really curious to see, David, who your X Factor is with all that we said uh, leading up into the series. Yeah, you know, I think you guys touched on a lot of great points. Um, I think really the only other player that I think would be, you know, a pretty defining factor in the series, as I said, um, I think it's Bogdanovich. I think, like I I said, you know, they're going to put the pressure on Trey Young, which you anticipate uh, to try to wear him down on both ends of the court. So Bogdanovich's ability, because he has really helped the the Hawks kind of tread water in those minutes where Trey Young is off of the floor. Um, I think his ability to keep the offense um, consistent um, and keep it free flowing, uh, I think is really, really going to be pivotal here. Um, 
because there's really nobody else on the team that that can handle that kind of task. Um, I think Hunter, like both of you said, has looked really, really great. And, and his play on both ends of the court is going to really, really be key. Um, but, uh, of course, you know, he he is not the the playmaker or the, the floor spacer that Bogdanovich is. And that wasn't, you know, the role uh, kind of assigned to him. So, uh, you know, I, that's why I would say probably Bogdanovich. Um, if, if we had a bead fully healthy for the entire series, then personally I'd probably say John Collins um, because I think his ability to, again – impact Embiid's ability to score the basketball and be a bully on the low block, I think it's going to be very important, but also his ability to stretch the floor, to rebound and to be an offensive threat because he can, he can definitely body guys like Tobias Harris, um, guys like Danny Green. If he ends up on a switch, he can body those guys and get into the low post pretty easily. Um, so they're going to need him to be very, very active catching lobs because of course he's a little bit more polished than Capella is. So I think a couple guys here for the Hawks um, in their cast of characters could really, really be pivotal for the Hawks success in this series. Yeah, and guy and newsflash to all listeners, everybody on the Hawks gotta be ready for this series. This is a tall task. So everybody, it all is. hands on desk on deck. Sorry, not desk. Uh, there's a desk in front of me, but all hands on deck. My hands uh, on it. Hands on it. Hands on it. Everybody gotta be ready. Um, and one player that's going to be, I I just been and me and Alan, we've talked about it. And me and David, we've even talked about this as well. Who they put on Ben Simmons, I don't know because obviously he is one of the main driving forces as far as them offensively and defensively as well for him to be able to, you know, penetrate in the lane, find open shooters, which we need to do just like in this past series, stay attached and challenge the shooters for the 76ers, the uh, Maxis, the Currys, the Greens, um, Corkmas, all the other one, other people who are capable of knocking down long shots. Uh, when, Ben Simmons' ability to get into the paint helps collapse that defense and opens up opportunities. So, and in the hack of Ben, which we've seen, which may have to be used at some point and employed by Nick McMillan. So, I'm gonna open up to both, and we'll see who is the first one to clamor to this uh, to this question. But if you're Nick McMillan, who do you put on Ben Simmons? And I don't. And before I say this, we were talking about this before. Healthy, if he was healthy. I would say Cam Reddish, but he's not available as of right now. So I'm curious, both of you guys' answers, who do you put on Ben Simmons? Well, I'll tell you who uh, put on his best Cam Reddish impression in the last series. That was Kevin Herter. Man's coming off the bench with tons of energy on the defensive end. And the Shout out Kevin. End. Shout out but, Kevin. But like I, that was the best defense I've ever seen him play in his career. This all five games, I mean, he was just up in dudes' faces. I mean, he, we're seeing him get strips and blocks. We're just seeing him cut guys off on uh, the point of attack. I mean, he was just all over the place in this series. And, you know, I don't think there's one guy that you can throw on, on Simmons uh, or it, it's going to be by committee, but I'm sure that Herter is going to get plenty of opportunities to go up with him uh, against him one on one. You know, it, as long as you've got Capella on the on the court, too, just the, the, the effect that he has at the rim, deterring drives and being able to alter shots that way that I mean, he won't be guarding Simmons one-on-one, but that is his presence will definitely be a big factor in limiting his ability to get to the rim. Um, you know, it, it, but in my opinion, it's just going to be more by committee for really all these defensive assignments. Tobias Harris, you might, I, I'd argue you probably want more DeAndre Hunter than other guys on him just because yes. that's, that's your, he, he's the, I think he's the best equipped to handle him. 
But, I mean, I think that, like I said at the top of the things that I've really loved watching, and let me be frank, I loved watching every damn minute of these five games. But the, def- the, the team defense and everyone being in the right places at the right time was the just the sh- most shocking part of this success. And I hope that they that these guys have some confidence in their ability to kind of work together to limit this team offensively and just continue to keep that up against these guys. Yeah. And I'm gonna kick it to you, David, as well. Um, I'm sure you're definitely going to see a committee, but who on the Hawks is best equipped to be put on Ben Simmons? You know, again, uh, I think it's going to have to be an effort by committee. Um, I like Reddish, like you said, but unfortunately he's not available. Uh, I love the energy of Herder, as as you touched on. Um, I, I think he's definitely got the tools um, and the size to be very, very good defensively. Uh, just not, I don't think, you know, a, a finished product yet, but still plenty of time. Um, so it's going to take everybody, a little bit of everybody, to try to slow Simmons down. The biggest benefit that the Hawks have to their advantage is that they have the big bodies to essentially wall up the rim and make Ben Simmons a jump shooter, which we know he is not. Um, they have a a lot of depth on that team. So if they have to employ the hack a bin strategy, we have seen that have some success. Um, perhaps that could be something that the, the Hawks roll with late in games. Um, and, and most importantly, uh, everybody on the Hawks, at least the majority of the players that we've seen in a steady rotation here is bringing energy off of the bench. And that defensive energy that they set the tone with to begin the game, I think will be infectious because they have a good coach. I think because they have a lot of camaraderie on that roster, which is something they lacked earlier in the season. So you would expect the next man up to step up and know exactly what their role should be. Um, But again, this is an inexperienced team. It's going to be a learning process. Um, You know, there's going to be hiccups. But I think having Nate McMillan there, an experienced coach who has been in these type of situations before and who has shown himself time and time again to be very, very good when it comes to employing strategy uh, to really muck up what the other team is attempting to do on both ends of the court, uh, I think really can pay dividends here for the Hawks. So I'm definitely going to be looking for that. Yeah, and you hit on something that I wanted to touch on um, before we get towards the end of the program. It is the second unit. Uh, It's going to be huge as far as their contributions on both ends of the floor. Um, Like I said before, Philly has gone really deep into their bench this postseason. Sometimes seven seven guys off the bench have been playing. Partially because maybe some games have they've had a lead and they can afford to give some people some minutes. But I'm interested to see Nate McMillan's uh, response to that as far as with his rotations. And we're going to need the second unit in a big way, especially on the first in the first two games in a row. And I know the second unit, as I said before, has played better at at home here in Atlanta than they have on the road. But it's going to be very crucial the first two games, as y'all as you both have mentioned, to bring that energy, to bring that intensity off the bench, to be ready. Because it's going to take everybody. It's going to take absolutely everyone. And I think that's one of the things that gave the Hawks an advantage last series. And I think it can be I'm not going to say a chip on the Hawks' shoulder, but something that it's going to help the Hawks is that, that everyone, because of all the injuries, because of it seems like the ch- ever changing lineups, everyone has had an opportunity to step up this year in, in some moment, in some moment, in some key moment. Someone was huge for the Hawks at one time. And that 
it's going to, you know, give, you know, players confidence off the bench that, hey, um, I remember this game in a regular season where I had to, you know, do a little bit more or stop someone defensively or make a play. Um, I had to fight, claw, scratch, which we said Phillies are a very scrappy team. We are a scrappy team as well, which a lot of people overlook. So I'm, it's going to be real, real interesting to see what that second unit is going to do to chess match and as far as how we're going to match up defensively. But I can only speak for myself. I can't wait for Sunday. Game right now is set for 1 p.m. on Sunday on ABC up in the city of brotherly love, which will be no love lost between these two teams when it comes to Sunday. So I'm I'm excited. Is there anything and I'm going to start with you, David, that you that you want to mention? Maybe praising the Hawks or talking about the series, anything Hawks related before we wrap this program up today? Uh, you know, I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it sweet. A A A A A. In the words of one of my favorite philosophers, uh, the great Beyonce Knowles, well, it's over now. Go on and take a bow. And Trey Young, mm, Maestro, please, the most appropriate bow and the most timely bow that I think Madison Square Garden has had in a long time because of the pandemic. So welcome back to the garden and farewell, my friends in New York. Go back underground. Fortunately for you, the whole city is underground. So it wasn't too far of a trip for you. We'll see you next season. We'll see you next season. Beautifully said. Beautifully mm. said. And you know what? That's it's exactly what I wanted to touch on real quick, too. I, I loved I, I mean, let me say this again. I loved what this t- the display the, the 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 trash talking and theatrics that this Hawks team displayed throughout the series, starting with Trey, who does this stuff all the time, the, the confidence and swagger it was infectious throughout the entire team. Clint Capella doing the finger wag, John Collins talking his talk. I mean, it was so it was it was just re- it made it all the more fun, and it's because it, and you like that the Hawks backed it up. Because I think that they knew from the get-go that they were just more talented, and they absolutely showed it. Basically, for all of, I mean, the Knicks maybe had two good quarters against us in five games. Let's just be honest. That's yeah. just how it was. They they knew that, and I love that energy for this city, man. Because this is a team that has, it's they're so fun to root for. I've had so much fun watching these games. The, probably more fun. Than I had during, you know, well, certainly more fun than I had during that 60 win teams postseason run. It was just, I loved the the introduction to the world that Trey kind of had at Madison Square Garden. And I actually have a question I want to pose to y'all. Heading into this series, do you think that the Hawks should keep that exact same energy up against Philly? Like, and, and, and look, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to like, you know, say that they should have this mindset that they are at a disadvantage. But like, let's be real here. Philly is not the New York Knicks. Even if Joel Embiid's at like 80%, this team has got talent. And there's, you know, there's two schools of thought when you're talking trash. If you, you either A, you have you better back, you back it. It's good to have it if you've got that confidence and you know you can back it up. But if you kind of know that you might not be able to, you really want to poke that bear. Like I don't know. What do you do? You if you, what do you guys think should they should go with the that approach in game one against Philly? Should Trey Young be walking in there and <laughs> trying to rile that Philadelphia crowd up and doing his shimmies, doing the bird, trying to like you know warm himself up, trying you know maybe a bow or two here? Do you think that could hurt them, or do you think that that's important for this team to maintain throughout this run? 
Um, I'm gonna kick it to David. I'm gonna be a good host and kick it to David because I have my opinions on this, and it was kind of the thing that I was going to wrap up with. But I'm interested to see what Mr. Bracey is gonna say about this. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I will never fail you with the assist. Um, and you know, in my personal opinion, I definitely think you got to keep the same energy, but I don't think it's an energy that you necessarily have to kick off. Um, we can anticipate the fans of Philadelphia, even though it is a city of brotherly love, there will be absolutely no love lost uh, when the Atlanta Hawks find themselves uh, ringing the Liberty Bell there. Uh, so Trey Young definitely just needs to match that intensity, which I expect him to. Uh, when a dog barks, you got to bark back. Uh, he gave it to Broadway the long way, and I expect him to do the same thing when he pulls up on Philly. So, you know, in West Philadelphia, born and raised, you know, he, he, he's he got to show up. He, he's got to show up. He's got a ball. Um, and the Hawks have got to stand behind him, and I expect they will. You know, Clint Capella still has plenty of timeshares to give out. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he's going to be looking to send a couple more fellas on vacation. And you both touched upon something in what Trey had to go through in Madison Square Garden is going to prepare him for what he's going to go through at the Wells Fargo Arena in Philadelphia. Philadelphia fans and Knicks fans uh, are pretty similar. They both can be ruckus. They both can be in your face, talk a lot of junk. And I think what he went through in the garden, I think it, it gasses him up. It, feel, it fuels him. And I think he should expect that. And right now, like I said, the Hawks need to know they just need to know their game plan, go out there and execute. It doesn't matter who's on the other on the other side of things, if Embiid's playing or not. Do the things that got you there. Play with confidence. And we've been through so much adversity this year, uh, more so than a lot of teams that are still playing in the postseason, in my opinion. And I think that that those trials and tribulations is what got them through the series versus the Knicks, and that's what's going to get them through this series here in Philadelphia, because they're going to have some question marks. There's going to be some, you know, mismatches in favor of Philadelphia. The, the fans are going to be ruckus uh, up there in the, in the city of brotherly love as far as Philly. So right now it's not, it's going there with a chip on your shoulder, going in there confident, uh, knowing it's going to be a, a battle, knowing it's going to be a fight, knowing it's going to be a struggle at times because of the talent and the roster that Philadelphia has put together. And I know that uh, Clint Capella needs to rub his hands like Birdman as he's getting ready to go against Daryl Morey to show him what's up, depending on uh, the lineups that are put out there. Yeah. yeah, depending <laughs> on what lineups are put out there. So plenty of motivation for the Hawks to go out there and continue to have that chip on their shoulder because they continue to be overlooked. As we talked about the the first tech headline was more about the Knicks' success this year than what the Hawks did in a gentleman's sweep of that Cinderella team, the New York Knicks. So they need to continue to be like, you know what, we need to continue to earn our stripes, earn these letters with the MLK jerseys. You need to continue to have that chip on your shoulder and battle because you're still not getting the respect that you deserve uh, uh, nationwide or amongst NBA fans. They think it's still just Trey Young and everyone else. Not maybe maybe some now people are giving uh, Nate McMillan credit, but Nate McMillan needs credit, Bogey needs credit, Capella, Collins and his change of role this year needs and he needs credit. DeAndre Hunter and his progression, Ke- Kevin Herter and his progression with the veterans with Gallo, Lou Will, everyone deserves credit. It, it, it's, it's everyone's it's been all hands on deck, which is what it's going to take for them to have success in this series versus Philadelphia. But they need to continue that mindset into this series. I mean, hey, 
it, it was us against the world versus New York. It's going to be us against the world versus Philly. Hey, that's why we play the game. It's why we play the game. So with that, I can't wait. Once again, 1 p.m. Eastern time, Sunday, ABC in Philadelphia. Game one, Eastern Conference semifinals. Feels good. Feels good. Continue to celebrate the, this last dub from last night. But here on Hoop Hawks, we're doing a 24-hour rule. We moved on. Talking about Philly. And I can't move on without thanking both, both of my guests today. My friends, Alan, David, it's a pleasure to have both of you here on the program today. And I'm going to start off with you, Alan. Tell the listeners how they can keep up with you and what you got going on from here. Well, thanks again for having me on, Brad. David, it was great talking to you again, too. I like the three-man booth we have here for this celebratory episode. Um, and, yeah, if you guys want to reach out to me and talk Hawks, you can follow me on Twitter at Alan Strokey, A-L-A-N-S-R-O-C-H-I. Uh, it's about it. Don't have a lot going on right now. I'm just enjoying some Hawks basketball. By the way, shout out to uh, uh, at Michael Green ATL on, on Twitter. I believe you're a listener of the, of the show. Yes, and he is. I, I, yes, I saw he is. I saw a tweet from him from about a week and a half ago where he this man called the entire first round series not only Hawks and five. He had the exact script down. Game one win. It was going to be a close game one win too. That's what he said. I believe he uh, uh, when Knicks take game two win both at home close out at MSG. Props to you, man. I want to see what your uh, I want to see your prognostication for round two, and please make it favorable. Shout out, Michael. Shout out, Michael. He's a faithful listener listener to the program. Great on Twitter. Give him a follow um, if you can. Um, and uh, David, as always, let them know what you got going on as well. King Drip himself up in the loo. As always, you know we cook it up, cook it up. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, DFB underscore three. Make sure you're following all the hoopball social media pages for all your favorite teams, uh, for all your fantasy basketball coverage during the regular season and the postseason. Um, and definitely make sure you're following both of these guys on social media because they are doing big things. They got a lot of content com- uh, coming out for the network. So you're going to make sure you want to be in the know and you know where to go. Both of those pages. So check them out, check them out, check them out. Brad, as always, I appreciate you having me on the production and what a wonderful Wonderful production it is. And Alan, man, good to talk to you, my guy. Loving the content, loving the work, and definitely, definitely a pleasure jumping on to talk about both of your Atlanta Hawks. Oh, and they are flying oh so high right now. Appreciate you, David. And they really, they really are. Let's get let's go, Hawks. Let's go, Hawks, indeed. And if you love what you heard today, give us five stars, give us a good review, share it, tell everybody about the hottest new podcast covering your now Atlanta Hawks who are in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Uh, we're, we're one of the best shows out there. You need to let everybody know whether it's your mama them, your daddy them, your cousin, new basketball fan, Hawks fans, old head, new fan. Don't matter. Even if you're not a fan of the Hawks, check this program out. Tell somebody about it. Follow us at HoopBallHawks on Twitter. That is at HoopBallHawks on Twitter. Follow myself on Twitter at Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T-67. Please hit me up. Who is saltier? Lloyd Pierce of the Indiana Pacers. I want to know your answers. I want to know your answers. If you want to just talk Hawks, come on. The DMs are open. The mentions are open. Lucas stands, they're open. 
Uh, we're open for business here in Atlanta as we now move it on to the next round. And as always, sheesh, we will come up with some brand new content soon as the playoffs keep growing here in Atlanta. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.